Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR 88.5 FM and around the world at CJSR.com. My name is Marco Visconti and I will be your host for this evening. On today's show, we peel away the veneer of masculinity. A couple weeks ago, the City of Edmonton's Gender-Based Violence Prevention Initiative partnered with Men Edmonton to host a screening of Jennifer Siebel Newsom's documentary, The Mask You Live In, which explores how the toxic expectations placed on boys to man up contributes to rape culture and poor mental health in male populations. Men Edmonton is a local activist group focused on educating men on how they can become agents of change in society by standing up to gender-based violence and misogyny. After the showing of the documentary, a panel discussion was held, hosted by 630Ched host Ryan Jefferson, where guests shared their personal experiences in grappling with cultural expectations of manhood. The panelists included David Shepard, MLA for Edmonton Centre, Ryan King, a player for the Edmonton Eskimos football team, Dr. David Long, professor of sociology at King's University, Elder Phil Campio, a Woodlands Cree elder from Driftpile First Nation, and Kala Sritharan, an active member of Med Edmonton. Here are some of the highlights from the panel, which was held at the Garneau Theatre in Edmonton. I wonder if you have a very clear recollection of the first time that you were told to to act like a man or to be a man or to man up. If, if you remember something in particular, I wonder if you might tell us how old you were, what was happening around that circumstance, and how it made you feel. Um, so this was probably uh, around when I was four years old. Um, we were living in, um, in, in northern Sri Lanka during the uh, Civil War. and. Um, within a, a very short few months, um, we went from uh, um, watching my father die, who was a uh, very uh, prominent uh, surgeon in, in, in the hospital there, and then uh, we kind of es- escaped on a, my mother hit us on a, um, and me and my sister on a boat, and then we moved to uh, Colombo, and then we moved to Australia as uh, refugees, and during that transition from when I was four to five years old, um, after my father passed away, my mum um, said I'm now the man of the house and I'm responsible for uh, making sure this family um, is, is kept together and is, and is looked after. And she also, um, um, she, she mentioned that personally that uh, she'd be judged as a parent based on my success as, a, as an adult. And, and, th- and that was kind of uh, resonated through my relatives as well. Um, and so, being having that message repeated to me as I was growing up um, was how um, that pressure of masculinity was put on me. Um, it, it made me feel a lot of uh, resentment of having all these expectations um, and having to uh, live up to um, and exceed my father's uh, status as well. And I kind of uh, uh, resented this uh, uh, persona of masculinity as, as a result. Mm. Who influenced your understanding of a man's role? My, my understanding came from mainly, mostly my father. I grew up in a generation, second generation of residential school. I had the opportunity to go to a public school. 
And it was very hard for my father because he could not speak about love or kindness. He could only show it. And, and that's, that changed a lot in my life. I come from a family of, I have, in our family there were 16 siblings. I was the youngest of the boys. I had one sister younger. And my older brothers had a different life. They were taught to be men by sowing physical strength. An example would be my older brothers and my uncles would put us young boys in a circle and we had to fight our way out. If we didn't win, they would beat us up. And that, that grew on me for the years as a young boy. I was probably eight, eight years old when that started. Later in life, going to school, I had to prove because my brothers used to do, get, be boxers. And coming from a big family, we had to prove our way through, through high school, all the way through high school, to, that we were tough. We lived in a community where there was a lot of violence, a lot of alcoholism. And it was my father that pretty much made me realize that life isn't about physical strength. It's about knowing who you are as a person. And that having taught that was basically to go back on the land and learn about the animals before we can learn about ourselves. That's, that's how it started. David, can you think of a time that, that you first challenged, you have a, a recollection of a time that you first challenged your concept of masculinity or when uh, someone else challenged you to rethink what masculinity entailed? I think for, for me, yeah, growing up, I always felt largely that I was very inadequate in terms of what being, being a man was. I mean, I always felt like I was failing that mark. Um, I wasn't a very tough kid. Uh, I wasn't very, I didn't, I didn't match any of the skills. I wasn't, I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't good at, uh, I, I wasn't good at sort of hanging out with my peers or with making friends or being outgoing. I was, I was shy, I was laid back. Um, I was very intellectual, very creative, but I didn't have any of the things that, you know, seemed to be what my father expected of me, what my peers expected of me. So when I guess, when did I sort of start to challenge what that idea of masculinity was? Um, I think maybe around, around 1995 or so when I'd sort of finished up uh, my, my first degree in music at McEwen and sort of got out of Edmonton for a while to sort of clear my head and try to figure things out. And I had the opportunity to go work at a summer camp and uh, do an outdoor leadership training program. And in the process of doing that program, I had the opportunity to, to, to learn about something called um, about servant leadership. So the idea that in, in order to be strong, to be a leader and to stand up, it's meant to be, to embrace and recognize your own weakness. And that 
to truly being a leader meant not, you know, having to be better than other people or having to prove yourself in front of other people, but instead lay in being able to, to serve other people. So that for me was the first time, I guess, that really challenged my idea of what masculinity was and helped me to begin to build a sense of self-worth and who I was as a man. Boys and men are highly likely to suffer from a mental health challenge at some point in their lives, particularly depression. Uh, men in some categories, three to four times more likely than women to die by suicide in some age categories, as we saw, up to seven to 10 times as likely. As a society, we certainly know that we can and must do better in promoting mental fitness uh, and wellness and preventing suicide. What changes in our systems, health, government, workplace, schools, prisons, would you like to see in order to better promote mental wellness, ultimately to prevent death by suicide? To me, to me it would be uh, becoming a one, one mind, one body, and one spirit. And uh, one of the ways, I work with Edmonton Public Schools, I work with communities in, in Millwoods and in Stony Plain, and I, I feel as we learn to understand each other as a person, as who we are, that we can become one mind, one body, and one spirit, because the young people today, they, they want to be a part of life. They want to be a part to fit in. They, they look forward to belonging. And how do we belong if we don't understand who we are? Uh, when I look at the um, suicide statistics that were up on the screen and, and that you quoted, Ryan, uh, it's quite striking to me that the 45 to 54 age group is actually the highest rate of suicide among men. And, and you can get different population characteristics, right? So uh, young Aboriginal males, for example, is 15 to 24, uh, the highest rate of, of any, any similar age category in the world. Uh, but, but the fact that the older you get in Alberta, the older you get in Canada as a male, uh, the more likely you are to take your own life. What's going on in our families, in our communities, in social media contexts, where we work, on the street, uh, that men experience significant levels of depression. Uh, that we experience significant rates of addiction and violence. Welcome back to Adam and Eve on CJSR. My name is Marco Visconti. On this week's show, we're looking at ways we can challenge and redefine masculinity. We just heard some excerpts of a panel discussion that happened at the Garneau Theatre a couple weeks ago after a screening of The Mask You Live In, a documentary dealing with the way aggressive and emotionless interpretations of masculinity are imposed on boys and the detrimental effects of this in society at large. After the screening, Roseva Fork Jenkins and I asked around to get some reactions to the film. Roseva and I both thought the film did a good job at criticizing masculinity and illustrating the ways boys and men are also harmed by strict gendered expectations while still acknowledging the fact that men need to be accountable for building up this notion of masculinity that demonizes and belittles other genders in the first place. 
but we wanted to know what other people thought. Here's a conversation Rosiva had with Jonathan Wales, a nursing student. We just saw The Mask You Live In. I was wondering about um, your first general thoughts and impressions of the film. Um, yeah, I thought it was excellent. There were a lot of really interesting and diverse perspectives. Um, for myself, I feel like um, I've never had too much difficulty like expressing myself in that way. Um, probably because I was raised by by two very strong women. So I uh, identified a lot with that one guy that talked about his experiences being raised by women. Um, so there was a lot I could identify with. It was, it was good. Yeah. And specifically when they're talking about different masks, do you ever feel like there's specific environments where you have to um, put on a mask versus others that you don't? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in my everyday life in Edmonton, not so much, but that's because I surround myself with the people that I feel more most comfortable with. Um, I used to work in wildfire management. Um, I was actually a pilot, and now I'm in nursing school. So <laughs> two super male-dominated areas, and then into something that is totally like I'm the my gender is completely the minority. Um, I don't have any. D issues switching from that but before in a male dominated situation if you ever wanted to like get ahead or, or move up the ladder I was never very good at that because I was uh, yeah kind of like expressed my feminine side a lot more and people were you know not so receptive to me I would find good people but the majority it wasn't wasn't like that so. mm -hmm. and as you mentioned that you're in nursing now um, do you find people's reaction, is there um, certain groups of people react differently or ever react in a, def in a negative way? I've heard of it happening um, where people are reacting negatively to, to having a male nurse. Um, I think it happens a lot in like labor and delivery or maternity care and that kind of thing. But that's just out of uh, preference for not, and also can be a cultural thing. So I don't feel uncomfortable with that. But uh, sometimes there are like some negative perceptions where people think you're either uh, will say something along the lines of you're not smart enough to be a doctor or you must be gay. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are some things that can be pretty uh, offensive or jarring, but it's not too terrible. And in your program, do you find that it's um, even because we in cultural sometimes see nurses as a female side? So do you ever feel like you're in a program that? feels overtly feminine or does that ever affect you in any way um well i think w the funniest thing that i keep encountering is like all of my slides and textbooks refer to a nurse as she and uh as a doctor as he um they and if you want to buy scrubs it's difficult <laughs> there's like one little tiny shelf for for men's but it's not a big deal i mean like i you know hear people say it's great to see a guy in the program or uh you know getting our perspective and stuff i think some of the funnier things is like now i don't want to make people feel uncomfortable as a male nurse so i'm a lot more um conscious of that kind of thing like i don't want to because you have to touch people's bodies so i don't want to um make anyone uncomfortable so i'm kind of working on that yeah. yeah well that's really great thank you so much for talking to me no problem it was rather serendipitous that Rosiva ran into a nursing student. 
One of the main topics of The Mask You Live In is the social isolation that men and boys find themselves in while trying to embody the ideal masculine. The film really points to this social isolation not only as a severe mental health issue, but as one of the root causes that men become perpetrators of violence. The film says that traditional masculinity deprives men and boys of the ability to connect with others and that this programs them to view emotions as weakness. There were many organizations promoting mental health awareness at the screening. I spoke with representatives from the Hello How Are You campaign and the Edmonton Men's Health Collective. Here's what they had to say. Could I just get you to say your name and what you do? So, Zanette Frost, and I am the program manager responsible for the Hello, How Are You? Urban Isolation Mental Health Campaign, as well as the um, It's Time Gender-Based Violence Prevention Campaign. So, what are those two campaigns about? What's Hello, How Are You? Let's start with that. Hello, How Are You? is a campaign that is working towards encouraging people to connect with their neighbours, connect with people on the street. We've found that... um, by knowing our neighbors and being connected to people that our mental health is much stronger and we're more resilient and we our communities are more resilient for that by that fact and what was sorry what was the other campaign's the name gender based violence sexual assault prevention initiative is the um, it's time campaign and that is specifically looking at ending gender based violence and sexual assault in the city so why was it important for you to be visible here at an event uh, that's focused on masculine folks? Um, we find that um, the, there's a connect, strong connection between men's mental health and how they perceive themselves and, what, ma- and what, what it means to be masculine, as well as the connection of how the notion of being macho and what that means and sometimes how that is uh, seen through gender-based violence. Uh, so my name is Adam Sartori, um, and I recently joined this year uh, the Mental Health and Spirituality uh, Working Group, and we're one of the groups, uh, subgroups of the Edmonton Men's Health Collective. So the Edmonton Men's Health Collective um, is a group of uh, men, uh, bi, trans, queer, and gay men in Edmonton, and we work um, on different initiatives to kind of highlight the health issues um, affecting all members of the uh, GBTQ uh, Edmonton community in Edmonton. So um, we're part of the mental health group, but we also uh, do a lot of initiatives around sexual health, physical health, um, and social health as well. So. Yeah. I'm not sure what I can add to what he's already given, but I'll try. It's Gary here, and I'm also with the Edmonton Men's Health Collective, and I work with the spirituality and mental health group within that collective. But we are trying to advocate for awareness regarding the needs of queer men and help on the website to actually provide some services in terms of resources that may be of benefit to gay, bisexual, and trans men. So uh, what do you think are the unique barriers for queer men when it comes to issues of mental health that have come up? Well, the barriers are historic. So if you go back to pre-about 19, early, well, late 60s, and and I think it was about 71 or 72, it was actually considered to be a a mental disorder to be gay or bisexual. We don't currently see it that way. But if you go back and talk to older members of the LGBT community, they have a fear of going to see counselors because of the stigma that comes, because there's an assumption that if you are LGBT, there's something wrong with you. And unfortunately, there are still some psychologists and counselors out there who struggle with the idea that you can be gay or bisexual or trans and not have a mental disorder. 
Do you think it's important for queer men to be critical of masculinity, even though historically we've been left out of what it means to be masculine? Absolutely. I think it's important um, to have a, more events like this where we um, highlight that some of those, um, some of the hyper-masculine qualities are not necessarily um, healthy to kind of promote in culture, but it also is not, uh, not just an issue that affects um, queer men, but I, I feel like queer men um, are a little bit more, more susceptible to feel um, inferior or to feel that they don't necessarily match uh, those hyper-masculine traits. So I think it's important that queer men um, find a sense of community and they, f um, they also link with organizations that say um, and support services that say, you know what, it's okay that uh, you don't have to look a certain way, you don't have to act a certain way, you don't, you don't have to talk a certain way, um, and you're also not alone. I can give you an example today. There's a fairly well-known gay YouTuber who tweets out as his April Fool's joke, I'm masked. <laughs> and my response was, masculinity is a spectrum. All men are masculine. Because I felt it was important to send the message back. No, oops, sorry. I'm sure he meant that as a joke, but I wanted to make sure that people reading it would feel like it's okay to not be looking and acting like John Wayne and riding off into the movies and walking bow-legged. That this is an element of masculinity, but it's not the only one. Uh, so have either of you felt like you've had to wear a mask uh, in your life? Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, particularly junior high, high school, um, I struggled a lot with kind of um, my own, finding my own sexuality and then also um, trying to fit into social norms and some of those um, masculine stereotypes and like ways to dress, way to act, way to talk. Um, but I found once kind of I got into university and I started um, getting more involved through volunteering and, and also just meeting new friends and, and finding new social groups. That, and and I, I think the biggest thing for me was finding um, other people that other other queer men um, particularly and all but also I having good friend good good um, heterosexual friends in my life both male and female is super important um, just kind of breaking down those bar barriers so as as important it is to have a healthy queer community and and um, other gay bi trans or I'm a gay man so I'll just relate to gay men but um, gay men that I can um, can relate to because obviously there's there's a different level of understanding, um, but I, I find that my, my straight friends are just as equally supportive, and it's important to have the balance of those two. And um, one of the great things to think about, uh, about EMHC is that we are um, kind of increasing awareness about the issues affecting queer men, but we also um, are very interested in collaboration. So um, coming to events like this and even networking with all types of different organizations is very important because an issue such as like masculinity and um, changing the conversation about that is is universal and I think um, collaborate like they said on the panel collaboration um, and open and respectful discussion is is one of the most important things I think moving forward with how we change the dialogue and the discussion around what it means to be a man and what's healthy and and what value and what values are important like empathy compassion I'm an older man, so when I was a little kid, it was the norm you had to hide. And to give you an idea of how bad it used to be, if the police came by, they would come by where there were gay bars, and they would write down the license plates of everyone who was parked close. Then they would go to the employer, and they would say, this person was parked 
close to a gay bar and you can be fired just like that. And most of my life there has been no protections whatsoever in the workplace for discrimination against people on the basis of sexual orientation. So you had to be very, very careful. So you wore a mask that was regarding masculinity, but you also wore a mask regarding your sexuality. So the two went hand in hand because you really couldn't be very open. I'm a gay man as well and, and throughout the, the event tonight I was thinking, I was kind of surprised that um, there were, well, I'm assuming, that a lot of straight men were talking about how they struggled with masculinity and that was kind of a surprise for me because I, I felt like I never was seen as masculine. Did you feel that same feeling of surprise? Well to me it would be no surprise if I read some of the research. Some of the most at-risk groups of youth in schools are straight males who are bullied about being gay. They're highly at risk for a couple of reasons. They're not gay, so they don't have a community of gay people they can try to find and be a part of. So they're kind of neither fish nor fowl. Where do you go if you're slightly feminine acting and people assume that you're gay, but you're not gay or bisexual? So there's not a lot of support for youth in that situation, and it's very traumatizing for straight youth to go through that. Similar thoughts? No. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> Am I alone in feeling that way? <laughs> no, I, I actually found it very um, enlightening, the documentary, and I think it's a, g a great point. Like, it's, you think that, um, it's, I think it's easy to think that uh, the struggles um, of not being wanting to call queer or to be bullied are um, specific to um, to kids who 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 eventually will identify as 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 um, as gay or or trans or or, or different, but um, something that really stood out for me is, especially in sports, is how. Um, kids will do anything to prove to the coach or to win um, just for the fear of not being called um, a faggot or, or something like that. So it's, I think it's important to highlight that um, masculinity also affects straight men and like Gary was saying, they don't necessarily have quite as established a community. Um, so I, to see that the fact that there are like men's groups and uh, men's retreats, uh, community organizations that are open to men of all orientations, of all backgrounds, um, is really important because, um, and I think that will also kind of help break the break the barrier between heterosexual men and gay men because I think those, for me, those friendships are really important and I think um, a lot of, they're different issues, we have different issues, but in terms of like what, figuring out what with how to be a good man, how to have good values, um, those are universal struggles. Maybe we're exposed to different issues and we have um, obviously like your orientation versus um, how you grow up is, is very different, but I think um, breaking down those barriers and understanding that um, we're not all that different. Some of us choose to love men, some of us choose to love women, but um, you can still be if you love women, you can still be a compassionate person. You can still be a very empathetic person, too. Um, so I think it's, it's great to see that straight men are also getting involved and, and challenging what it means to be masculine. So. Welcome back to Adam and Eve on CJSR. I'm your host, Marco Visconti. We just finished listening to some interviews I did at an event at the Garneau Theatre after the screening of The Mask You Live In, a documentary about toxic masculinity. I was really happy to have the chance to speak with Adam and Gary from the Edmonton Men's Health Collective, which is a local health initiative for gay, bisexual, queer, and trans men. You know, for myself, 
um, I am a gay man, and I never felt that I performed masculinity in a way that my peers expected me to. And I had to discover for myself that my identity as a man did not depend on acting or speaking a certain way. Personally, I found liberation by eschewing prescriptions of gender and by telling myself that because I feel that I am a man, I will always be masculine enough. And it was nice to hear those kinds of thoughts reflected by other gay men. I sometimes wonder if redefining what it means to be any gender is really the answer, or if we need to break with the idea altogether that our behavior reflects our gender. But perhaps that's a topic for a different show. <laughs> We're out of time. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please look us up on Facebook and Twitter at Adam and Eve and share your thoughts with us. Once again, my name is Marco Visconti, and this has been your feminist radio show on CJSR. So long for now. Adamant Eve is a spoken word project of CJSR FM 88.5, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. We produce this week's show at the CJSR studios at the University of Alberta, located on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.